What is the purpose of, of making money? What is the purpose of even living your purpose? What is the purpose of all of this? It's so you can feel more alive. So if we have these practices that can support us right now, then the end goal doesn't even matter as much because we're feeling it in this experience. This is the Alchemize Life Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Johanna, and I am so grateful to have you here joining me for yet another soul expansive conversation. My intention with every episode is to show you through storytelling and in-depth conversations that you, yes, you are capable of creating anything you desire. Alongside yours truly, you'll hear from thought leaders and industry voices, and together we will teach you how to come alive in your authentic expression and remember the infinite power of your soul. We're covering topics like wealth, worthiness, the pursuit of your passions, and you'll be inspired to break all the rules of living an ordinary life. You were truly put on this planet to have it all. The thriving spiritual practice, the steamy relationship, the income, and the impact. So together, let's align with our divine selves and alchemize your life. Sahara Rose is back, you guys. Ah! <laughs> I feel like a DJ, like, make some noise. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, probably not the way that you thought I would be coming into your ear holes to start this podcast episode, but I feel so just lit up and excited by this conversation with Sahara, and I cannot wait for you guys to enjoy this rendition or round two of our conversation from, I think it was about a year and a half ago at this point. Um, and what's so cool is that when Sahara came on last time, we talked a little bit about Ayurveda and doshas, and we started kind of getting into Dharma and purpose. And she was actually just starting to write her book, Discover Your Dharma, which we dive deep into today in this conversation. And I just think that Sahara is one of the coolest people on this planet, as I think many people do. She is just so in alignment with her expression. She is so just, I don't want to say nurturing, but like it's nourishing to just watch her go and to watch her connect with the information that she shares and the containers that she creates. And that's really what discovering your dharma is about. It's not just your work, but it's your essence and your expression. And oh, I, I don't want to even take up too much of your time because she just does such a beautiful job at explaining it. And I had so much freaking fun talking to her again and having her on the podcast. You guys are going to love, love, love this conversation so much and make sure to grab her book, discover your dharma. I'm going to link it in the show notes. It's a really good one. I read it back in December. I think December, beginning of January. And it just opened my eyes up so much to Dharma being so much more than just like our work and our title. And I think that it's an important conversation to have in our overly optimized, um, driven world that just goes for like the material achievements. We really open up the conversation to look at Dharma as so much more than that. So enjoy this conversation. Enjoy Sahara. And if you haven't already, Take a screenshot, post it up on your Instagram. Let us know that you're listening and I'll see you on the next episode.
Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Alchemized Life podcast. Wow, wow, wow. The last time that we did this in person, it was in the Palisades, but I have the beautiful, talented, wisdom-filled, how many other adjectives could I use to describe you? (laughs) Sahara Rose with me and she's back and this conversation is going to be so, so good. Sahara, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me back. And I wanted to share with you that when we did this podcast last time, which was like a year and a half ago, that was like, I think the first podcast I had done about Dharma and like my own journey, et cetera. And then I ended up sharing it on my podcast too, because I was like, I want people to know this. And so many people were like, what? I had no idea that was your experience. And like, it was their first time even hearing that. So I will always remember that conversation. Oh, that's so awesome. No. And you know, it's so funny. And I was going to wait to record to make sure that I shared this live with everybody. Um, but one thing that you said in that podcast, I have has been stuck with me on such a deep level for in my business since, since we had that conversation, which is looking at the ebbs and flows of business through the lens of our dosha or the different doshas and how it's this cyclical, um, the cyclical experience once you get into following your soul's purpose or following your dharma where it doesn't always look like idea, 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 then it's action and then it's reflection. And I just had never really heard of it that way. And I share it with every single one of my clients. And whenever I feel like, oh, I'm in a little bit of an ebb right now, it's I've always just had your voice in the back of my head, like, oh, that's okay, Ava. We're just in the kapha phase right now. <laughs> mm, I love that so much. And yeah, it's just, you know, such a powerful way of looking at life. I think that we are so you know, taught in our society to be one dimensional. Like you're either a, like a chill person or you're a type A person. You're either a creative or you're an analytical person. You're this or you're that. And we put these labels or someone once saw us in that zone and has put that label on us. So then we tell ourselves, oh, I'm not a creative. Oh, I'm not I can never be an artist. I can never write a book. I can never do this because of someone's projection of me based off of that moment in time. So when we open it up to we're all experiencing these ebbs and flows and it's going to be different lengths for different people at different times of your life. And sometimes I'm like in the pizza, I'm like, I want to be in the kapha, but you like kind of end up back in the pizza and you're like, let me get back into the kapha. And it's, it's not perfect, you know? And when we can allow ourselves to have the intention towards where we want our energy to be going, then we can make the decisions to support it. If you're like, okay, I have been in a launch, like I have been in an intense mode, probably the next thing is not come up with the next business solution. It's have that sacred pause in between because then I'll be able to raise my vibrational state and come up with better solutions from that place. Yeah, totally. And what I found is that you don't even have to force it when you give yourself that sacred pause. And the ideas actually flow with so much more ease than if it was from, it's almost like in a, in a space of scarcity where it's like, uh Oh, I just finished this. And now I have to have that next idea or else I don't know what's going to happen or else I won't be enough or else I won't be safe. And I think that, um, it takes, 
practice and like emotional muscle memory to recognize that when you are in that sacred pause, it is sacred. It's not, um, it's not a deficit, but once you do get into that rhythm, it is so liberating because it's such a state of allowance in, in every season of life versus just the very structured, um, like masculine dominant go, 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 or do, 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 which I think that a lot of individuals when they're first finding their dharma get caught up in thinking that's where they always have to live. Yeah. And I think it's like, we don't fully go into any of the stages sometimes that it feels incomplete. So if you like had an idea that you didn't really see through, but you're just like, Oh my God, this is the idea. Like, let me just take action on it because someone else might, you know, and out of that scarcity, like you said, and then you end up in the pitta, but then you're always going to kind of want to go back to the vata because you're like, and the vata for those of you who did not hear that conversation is the, is the air energy. It's the, the stage of ideation. So if you're just jumping to take action on an idea, even though it may not be truly aligned with your soul, it may be coming out of scarcity. It may be coming out of wanting to preserve that idea and not let anyone else take that idea, then you're never going to be satisfied in the doing because there's always going to be a part of you that's wondering what else. Now, the same thing can happen when you are doing something, working on your business, writing your book, whatever it looks like, and you don't give your all to it and you still feel like you held back in some ways, you can't really go into that sacred pause, that rest, that kapha energy, because you feel like, well, there is still some energy that I left on the table. So mm-hmm. you're never really going to give yourself that chance to rest. Like think about doing a workout, right? Like when you're doing that, like high intensity interval training workout, you've given your all is like, you give yourself full permission to rest, like deeply rest. Like sometimes I just lie down, like face down on the floor and I'm just like, I can rest. (laughs) But the times that I kind of was like half-assing it, I'm, I'm on my phone. I'm not really giving it my all. I can't fully rest because I know I didn't give myself to it. So when we're living our dharma, our soul's purpose, like the invitation there is to fully be in each of these stages and in this experience and give your, give your all, don't hold anything back. I think that because of our survival biology, we are almost like trained to like, oh, well, I can only give this much, or I don't want to expend too much energy, or I don't, I don't want to give my all because what if it's not the right thing? And and this actually becomes self-sabotage. So it's like, just go for it fully. And even if it's not right for you, at least, you know, I gave this my all, and then you can rest and let that next idea come through from a clear space. Yeah, I think that that's such a beautiful kind of segue into discovering your dharma as well, too, because, you know, I work with a lot of new business owners in the online space that can kind of hit the brakes a bit when they're first starting because there's this massive pressure to have the like million dollar idea from day one. And in my experience, it has been a constant unfolding of new ideas and new things that I like, new ways that I try out that I don't necessarily like. And so for somebody who is just starting out in uncovering and like discovering their dharma, how to, how do you suggest getting past that self-sabotage and just starting when there is that massive fear of getting it wrong or having to start over or pivoting like down the road? Yeah. So 
First of all, the word dharma, for those of you who are still not quite sure, it really means your soul's purpose. So it's not just what you do. It's not just my dharma is to be a business coach or my dharma is to be a mother or any any one role that you play, but it's more why you do it and how you do it. So as we know, a million people can teach a yoga class, but that yoga class is going to be different based off of the teacher or a bunch of people can tell you to love yourself, but the way that they're telling you is going to be different based off of who they are and their experiences and their expression. So it's your magic sauce. It's the energy you bring to the table. It's your unique frequency. So your Dharma is not something that you have to like do and figure out. It's not even outside of you, but rather it is inside of you all along. It's not finding your purpose. It's remembering your purpose. We were, we were born knowing it. We were born the full expression of it. However, we, you know, this is what the Vedic belief says that we agreed essentially to a temporary amnesia. So what that means is we were born knowing that we are a reflection of the universe. We are capable of everything that we desire. And essentially that our dreams, the very things that we desire are dreaming us back. They're they're in us for a reason. We are encoded with our Dharma. It's the unique way that only we can raise consciousness. And all of our Dharmas at the highest level is the same. We're all here to raise consciousness. We're all here to raise the vibration of the planet, but we have taken on different earth suits, different personalities, different ancestral lineages, different different traumas, all of these different things to become our soul's curriculum to now train us to embody that dharma. So think of your dharma as your naked body. You were born with it, but throughout life, you've acquired all of these layers and these layers look like school telling you, okay, well, you need to concentrate on math or your parents telling you, oh, well, we'll be proud of you if you become a doctor or society telling you, oh, you'll never make it in Broadway. Like you're going to be a starving artist or people telling you you're not enough. And all of these different layers essentially become like the hat and the scarf and the socks and the this and the that. And before you know it, you're like a snowman of a person and you're like, oh no, this is who I am. I'm not good at anything. Like I'm, I'm anxious. Like I'm filled with doubts. This is who I am. Whereas you're just wearing all of these layers that are not yours, holding on to beliefs that were never yours to begin with. So instead of now trying to find your purpose from that place, it's unraveling, deconditioning, letting go, looking at everything that you are not so you can remember the truth of who it is that you are. So I wanted to share that because I think so many times we make discovering our dharma become this other thing on our to-do list that we have to do and we have to be good at, we have to figure it out. And just that like is coming from society's expectation of achievement. It's coming from, you need to be this important for us to love you. Mm-hmm. So notice that if that is something that's showing up for you, I know it was, it was for me and I've broken it down into these five stages of Dharma discovery. So it will help you see where you are at and then where you can reach to next. So that first stage is just self-awareness to have the awareness to know, okay, I can see the trajectory that my life is taking. I see what the next five years will look like if I don't change anything and I remain at this job or in this relationship or whatever else. And I don't like it. I know something needs to shift. And that's just that aha moment of like, okay, something's going to have to give here. And not everyone even gets there, by the way, just because yeah. you have a Dharma doesn't mean everyone's going to, to live it. It's it, We have free will. So I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has at some point had this moment of, okay, I need to, I need to make a shift in my life. And then what happens is stage two, which is self-improvement. How can I become my best self? So 
everything from fitness to nutrition, to meditation, to therapy, everything in the personal development space is really in this self-improvement category. How do I have more focused thoughts and less anxiety and take care of my body and heal my digestion and all of these different things to improve myself. Now, this is an important stage to be on. I think sometimes we try to skip the 3D and just be in the 5D, but you got to take care of your mind and your body and your habits and all of these things that are showing up because you'll never be able to actualize your dharma when you don't sleep at night or when you're fighting with your partner all the time or whatever else is happening. So the self-improvement stage is important. And it's not the end. A lot of people then just get stuck there of like, how do I get better? And how do I get better? And like biohack this and that and that. And it's like this like never ending thing of things you got to improve. So eventually what happens is you realize I am not a mind and body to improve, but rather a soul to know. Mm. So instead of trying to fix myself, get better at being me, I'm just realizing that I didn't know the full scope of who I am. I am this entire ocean and I've been judging myself off of this little drop. So instead of trying to improve myself, let me get to know myself. And this is the stage three is the spiritual awakening, you know, meditation for a deeper reason, more about contemplation. Maybe you got into Ayurveda or human design or astrology or Chinese medicine, you know, feng shui, so many different paths out there. So this stage, I think a lot of your listeners are probably there of like, how do I get to know myself on this deeper level? And it can feel like this, like Disneyland of different things out there. You're like, how am I ever going to get to the bottom of this? And it's exciting as well as really lonely. This can be the loneliest stage because it's almost like the veils have lifted and you're realizing all that is, you know, wrong with this world. And it can feel like, oh my God, how am I going to survive in this world? Like this is the matrix. We got to wake up the sheeple from the matrix. Like we got to let them know what's really <laughs> going on undercover, like wake them up. Like we got to go off grid, like, you know, and it, and it could be very me against the world. So I think a lot of people have their spiritual awakenings in 2020. Yeah. So it went to the super, Um, you know, a lot of the the shadows that are happening under the surface that have been happening for centuries, people just became aware to them now. So it can feel this like, what the hell is going on here? And it can create a feeling of separation and duality of right and wrong, good versus evil. And we are the ones to fix that thing out there. So Again, this is a normal stage to be on. I remember when I was in my stage three, I was, you know, I was about 22 years old. I was living in India at the time. And I would just write these poems and I'm like, we live in a box. The malls are a box. The cubicles are a box. The cars are a box. Our minds are a box. When will we get out of this box? You know, like I remember my mom asked me to go to a shopping mall with her. I was like, I will not race a shopping mall, you know? So it, Cause you're just like, how could I, how did I used to be able to do that? So it can yeah. feel really like, I'm going to have to refigure out my entire life, you know? So that's when a lot of people feel like, oh my God, am I going crazy? Like, am I dying? Like some people have that type of spiritual awakening. And for some people it's more gradual and subtle. So what happens in this stage is it's a really, um, intense stage to remain in. It's really hard for our nervous systems to remain in that state all the time. Again, some people do, but naturally what shifts is you find your tools and your practices that work for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your breath work. Maybe it's your sound healing. Maybe it's your Ayurveda meditation, your lineages. Are you into Buddhism, Kundalini yoga, whatever it is. And you start to find more integration with the world. And you realize it's not me against the world, but rather I'm a part of this world and I care about this world. And I was born on this in this world for a reason. So 
I must have some karma to play out here. And you feel more grounded in who you are because you have these practices to support you. So it feels less like free falling and more like, okay, I see what's happening and all that's wrong with the world. And I know I have a role in helping to support that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. this is that stage four. Now in stage four, you know, if you're into spirituality, that's when you might really go into like researching different things, or maybe you're into nutrition. You go into researching all the nutritional theories or architecture or coaching or um, whatever that thing is for you. It's like, you go very, very deep into a subject matter and want to learn all of the ways that it's been done before, because you're, you're kind of in this analyzing researching state, you know, that's when people like sign up for a lot of courses or, you know, want to like read every book about the subject. And it's this like real, like yearning. Now, what happens naturally in this stage is you start to find your own way of seeing things, your own, your own way of seeing spirituality or nutrition or cooking or architecture. And it becomes less about, well, Abraham Hicks said this, so it must be that, or Buddha said this, so it must be that is, well, what do I think? What's my unique version and lens of seeing the world? And you start to share that maybe with your friends, your family on social media, And you start to have more courage and confidence in who you are. And before you know it, you are seeing the world in this new lens that is your own. And this is really what brings us into stage five, which is Dharma embodiment. And the biggest differentiating factor in Dharma embodiment is there's no distinction between the inner and the outer you. You are you full time. So in stage four, it can feel like, okay, at my job, I'm this, but outside of work, I'm like, this totally different person and it can feel really separated. Whereas in stage five, it's like who you are when you're working is the same as who you are outside, given like you're going to talk to people differently, but you are essentially always being yourself. It doesn't have to feel like you're living this double life anymore. Mm -hmm. And your energy shifts because you move from me to we consciousness. So the stages before are about me and they need to be about me. How do I practice self-care? How do I have self-inquiry, self-discovery, self-love, boundaries, all of these things about the self, but When you're in alignment with your dharma, it's no longer about you. Mm -hmm. And the very things that you used to do to protect yourself are no longer necessary because you are in full alignment with your dharma and that energizes you at a much higher level than any bubble bath ever could. So you're actually gaining energy from having those conversations with your clients or making your YouTube videos or whatever else it is that you're doing in a way that feeds you so much more than escaping. You know, when we're not living in our dharmas, we're like, I need a break. I need a vacation. I need to step out. When we're living our dharmas, it's actually when you're so doing that thing that you love to do, it energizes you. And I call this your sacred doing when you're being and doing merge where there's no distinction, the practice becomes the practitioner, the singer becomes the song, the dancer becomes the dance, the poet becomes the words. And this is really living your dharma, that place of total integration with what you are doing that you don't need an escape. This is it. And your energy is tapped into the cosmos. So you are able to create things and have such energy that you could have never had before in your life because 
you're living your purpose. The universe is like, yes, this is why you were born. So you're like tapped into this, like, you know, IV of like cosmic energy. And it's like moving through you that people are like, yeah. And people are like, how, how do you have this energy to do it? And it's like, yo, I'm just, I don't know. I'm a channel for it because it's not even coming from me. It's coming through me. Mm -hmm. So that is that full stage of Dharma embodiment, which is possible for every single person. In fact, it is the reason why we are here and it's not selfish. I used to feel like, like living your Dharma is selfish or someone's going to not be able to live my Dharma if I am and all these different stories from my childhood. But actually, the more you can live in alignment with your Dharma, the more you support others living in alignment with their Dharma, because we need everyone to be doing the things that they love to do because they were designed to heal the world in that way. Mm. So I think of like the Sims, like, did you ever play the Sims? Oh yes. Yes. (laughs) So I love the Sims and in the Sims, you like design these little people and you're like, okay, I'm going to make them this organized, this extroverted, Mm -hmm. this social, this flirty, you know, all the little things. And you designed them to play the role that you wanted them to play in the game. So you could think about source, like designing us as the Sims that we are meant to be, to live our dharmas. So those very things that you love to do, are your unique way of raising the vibration of the planet. There is someone who loves tech backend and there is someone that loves to be on stage. There is someone that loves children and there is someone that loves being in a lab. So if we could all just really hone in on what source has chosen for us to express through and fully commit ourselves and be courageous enough to step into that, then that is in fact the only way the world can come into balance. Mm, I feel like we just need to take a second to pause so everyone can soak all of that in. I feel like we skip steps two and three and often put like step four and step five before those really important steps. And as you were explaining those steps, I was like, oh yeah, that's actually, that's how I did it. And it it didn't happen overnight. It took me six or so years and continues to unravel. But I did start with the awareness piece of it of like, oh, I saw and I share on my podcast all the time. I literally saw my life flash before my eyes when I was given a promotion and saw who I would be five years from now, then 10 years from now and was just like, no, I don't want that. Um, And then I found yoga and meditation and breath work. And so it was this, uh, layer by layer, or maybe like striptease by striptease of taking off yes. all the clothes <laughs> um, before finding, I think, just like the seed of what my dharma is. And I love that it goes beyond the um, just like your job or your title. And um, I appreciate you sharing that because even for me, as I have been really focusing on shedding so much of the of society's um, achievements, as you said, and structures and beliefs, I still see those little things be woven into the way in which I perceive what Dharma is or what your soul's purpose is, because it is so much more than just being a podcast host or a coach or a mother. It's, it's all encompassing. So I appreciate you for sharing that. And I know in your book, you write about the Dharma archetype. Can you share a little bit what that means? 
Yeah. So first of all, I love that you shared that. And it's amazing when we can look back at our lives and see the patterns. And then that can give us, for people listening, more trust and hope that, okay, let's say I just had that self-awareness. Let me not put the pressure on myself to be a successful podcast host tomorrow. Let me find, you know, whatever tool it was for you, yoga, for someone else, it could be something else. And like be in the process and also know that you can't build like a castle on a stack of cards or whatever that saying is, house of cards. I don't know, but you like, I think so many of us, especially I can relate to you who grew up like achievement oriented. And like, I want to do the thing. I want to be successful that we can so skip to trying to create this like facade and even convince ourselves that, Oh, this is it. This is my Dharma because we just want to be living our Dharma that we can like almost lie to ourselves and put ourselves into this other shoebox. I see this happen so much with people leaving corporate Mm-hmm. They want to be a coach or a business person. They just look at whatever business model is working for someone else, whatever thing they're talking about and say, well, if it worked for them, it could work for me and I just need to make money. So I'm just going to do that. And then you're essentially building a career that is not in alignment with who you are, that you're, cre- you're recreating the exact same thing that you ran mm-hmm. away from yep. because that subconscious belief underneath it is still there. And then you may build that whole coaching business, but it's like based off of not your truth. And then that's going to fall. And you're going to keep doing that until you realize who it is that you are. So I feel like so often we, and, and I would give different advice to different archetypes, which we'll speak about next. But if you are someone who's like entrepreneur archetype, like quick to take action, et cetera, really sit with how can I get to know myself more fully before I take action? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that so much. And I see so much pressure from like those that quit corporate or those that have the awareness of, oh, this isn't working trying to immediately jump to, okay, what is, what is it going to, what am I going to create online or what am I going to, what business am I going to start right now? And find a lot of like friction and resistance there because there hasn't been that inner work done or that there hasn't been that space held for the discovery of who you actually are. Absolutely. I used to think because, you know, I started as a health coach and Ayurvedic practitioner and I would see these, and I wasn't really making any money doing it. And I would see these people who like became business coaches and like instantly had six figure businesses. So it would make me think, well, is that the formula? Like, is that how you make it online? You just become a business coach, even though like I didn't even have a successful business. So I can understand like that temptation being there. And I can understand how when we're in vulnerable positions, we're just like, I just need to make ends meet. But I really want to express that, you know, I am not a business coach. I talk about Dharma. It's like not even a thing that people know about. And I have been able to create a career for myself doing that. So maybe you're really into knitting, or maybe you're really into like taking care of plants or, you know, talking about Mary Magdalene or whatever else it is that's coming through you. There is such a space needed for all of those things, because if we all, you know, show up at the talent show and we all do, oops, I did it again. Well, guess what? It's going to get really boring after the third rendition because it's the exact same song. So why are we in life all showing up with the same song, same hair, same outfit, same dance? Then we wonder, oh, why is the market so saturated? Well, it's only saturated because people aren't being themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great point. Oops. I did it again. I love that analogy. <laughs> yes. I, I was watching the free Britney documentary last night and I'm, I'm shook. I'm shook about what's happening. <laughs> um, so yeah. So be yourself because the market will never be too saturated for people being them. Um, so for my own journey, learning about archetypes was really helpful because yeah. it was 
sometimes hard for me to figure out what my dharma was when I wasn't even sure what it, what I was good at, you know, like, I think so many of us were just like, I don't even know what my talents or strengths are. So seeing ourselves in like a personality type or a category that's so much bigger than ourselves can help us see, okay, well, I can see myself in this, in this part. So here are other people who are related to that archetype and here's what they're doing. So when I was writing Discover Your Dharma, I came up with these nine dharma archetypes. Now, these are archetypes specifically related to, to your dharma, to your soul's purpose. So um, the nine dharma archetypes, and I'll, I'll go in order of, of kind of what, what mine are. And I think a lot of people will resonate because they're, they're listening to your podcast. The first is the visionary. So the visionary is here to channel the new paradigm. They are big picture people. They see the way the future is going and their gift is their communication. They're able to bring people to a higher state of being. And again, it's not what they say. It's the energy that they're transmitting Mm -hmm. through what they're saying. So that visionary is here to hold people to a higher ground and and show people a path forward. So they often go into speaking, um, spirituality, all sorts of things. So a good example of one is Barack Obama. Whether you agree with him or not politically, he was for sure visionary. He was able to use his gift of communication and his charisma to bring people around a shared idea of what could be possible. And that's what made him so likable by so many people. Martin Luther King as well, the gift of the visionary. I have a dream holding us to a higher way of being. So if you are the visionary, know that that's your gift to bring people. We've always had, whether it's like a priest in society or a monk or, you know, just teachers, that's always been part of every single lineage. So if you are called to that type of work, know that it is within you. And this is my primary archetype as well. And the second is the teacher. The teacher is here to impart knowledge. So they are here to, you know, essentially go through life overcoming obstacles. And then they transmit those obstacles through sharing them with other people. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who like the moment you're going through something, you're like, okay, what lesson is this teaching me? And you're like sharing it with other people in your life. You probably have that teacher archetype or (laughs) you're like, yes. Um, Or if you were a kid and to help you study for a test, you would like pretend to like teach it to someone else that would help Mm. you grasp the information. That's that teacher archetype. So a teacher can be everything from business to algebra to, you know, you could be a teacher of, of swimming, of, of really anything. It doesn't have to be, you know, high level or spirituality or anything like that. You're just someone who loves to share information and share knowledge. So that is my secondary one. The third one is the artist. The artist is here to create beauty. So you are someone who goes through life seeing the world as like mediums that they can transform into art. So maybe for you, it's words, like you're going through a breakup and you're like writing poetry from it. Or maybe it's literally painting or crafting or making macrame or, you know, creating things with your hands. Artists often really like to work with their hands. So an artist will have like a beautiful everything from the way they dress to their home, to their social media feed. It will always have this like feel of who they are because everything is an opportunity for them to express themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who really resonates with that of making the world a more beautiful place, then that is the artist archetype. And a good example of that is Frida Kahlo. 
you know, she had such a unique expression that everything that she did, it had this, like you could see Frida's house, you would know it's Frida's house or her outfit or her this or that. It just had such a unique expression to it. And, and also all of these archetypes have shadow sides. So for the artist, it can be, you know, kind of not in charge of your emotions, feeling really up and down because they can be very in their heads and not grounded in their bodies. For a teacher, a shadow side could be not relating to the people that you are teaching to. So mm-hmm. think of the boring history professor who's like, so the Prussian war dates were 1846 and yeah. everyone's like eyes are glazed over, but they're like, this is important information. And the visionary can come off as preachy. You know, mm-hmm. people like, oh, are you serious? Like, I don't want to hear this right now. So they all have their own shadow. And I, and I dive into them much more in Discover Your Dharma. Um, the fourth one that a lot of women are, especially is the nurturer. So the nurturer is here to care and connect. So think of Oprah. You know, what we love about Oprah is she could sit on a chair next to someone and have a deep conversation with them and take them deeper into their own truth. So think of that therapist, coach, space holder, nurse, social worker, mother. That is all that nurture archetype. If people often tell you, you have such a beautiful way of making me feel seen and heard, or you you feel so present when you, when I'm speaking with you, that's that nurture archetype. So if you think of Oprah, even when she's at the Staples Center on stage, like she sits in a chair next to another person and is like, so what's going on? Yeah. And, and that's how she, you know, is able to entertain hundreds of thousands of people. Whereas a Tony Robbins, who we'll get to, he's a warrior archetype. He's coming on there, like clap your hands and stomp your feet and like beat your chest and like brings on, on all this fire energy. And, you know, every, every person's going to have their own unique way of doing it. And so that doesn't mean, I think sometimes when people are like, oh, nurturers, that mean I'm just going to like, just be a mom. It's like, again, look at Oprah, look at Eckhart Tolle, look at like Mm -hmm. so many of these people who have impacted the world, if that's what you want to do through their nurturing ability. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great point because all of these can still have presences that are unlimited. Yeah. 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 I love it. So one of the next ones is the researcher. The researcher is here to understand deeply. So they are very curious. They see the world as this like interesting thing for them to understand. So they're the type of people you send them something on Instagram. They're not, they're not just going to reshare it. They're going to do all of the back end research and find the flaws and the hypothesis. And like, they just, and, and that's important. We need that. You know, I think so many of us are just so quick to like believe whatever people say and the researcher is mm-hmm. really going to go into the details. And there are two types of researcher. There's past and future. So past researchers really like to go into history, ancient, ancient understanding, why the world is the way that it is. And future researchers like to go into technology, innovation, sciences, things like that. So regardless of what you move into, it's always going to be through data analysis, facts, research, like your happy space is to be like knee deep in all these books, like understanding something. Mm -hmm. So Deepak Chopra, he is like researcher, visionary teacher. So, you know, of course he's impacted the world and shared spirituality with so many people, but it's through his researcher archetype. Like all of his books are showing you through science, why meditation works, why spirituality is real, why we are the universe. And it's like, 
just knowing him personally, like the thing he gets most excited about is showing this to the science community. Like that is who he's wanting to convince. And that's his researcher archetype. He also is a medical doctor, you know, so you could see that throughout his life. So um, researcher Malcolm Gladwell, like, you know, so many people, scholars, et cetera, have that researcher archetype to them. Yeah, that's awesome. I feel like I have a bit of researcher in me because with my, with my meditation and breathwork certification program, I'm like, I get so jazzed. And like, that's when I'm most energized when I'm like, you guys look like the quantum field exists and this is how we tap into it. And it gets everyone else excited too. Um, and that part of it is like the context that I love of like all of these things that we're experiencing and feeling and hearing about, but with like the depth of like, we have the research, we have the data behind it. Mm, I love that. It's totally your researcher archetype coming yeah. online. Yay. <laughs> so another one is the entertainer. So the entertainer is here to make us feel, to make us laugh, cry, think, ponder, just have an experience. So they really come alive in mundane moments. Like when you're like sitting in a car in traffic for hours, like the entertainer in the car is going to be like, let's do karaoke. Let's do skits. Let me tell you about the story that happened to me. Or like at a party, they have like a group of people around them and they're like, you know, telling this riveting joke. If you think about Jim Carrey, for example, Mm -hmm. he's such an entertainer. They literally morph and shift into different characters. That is how they express their dharma. So they're actually really always reading a room and seeing like, what does this room need right now? And how can I fit that role? Mm -hmm. So um, Sasha Baron Cohen is another great example of the entertainer of he's making us really think about the world in a new way, but laugh our way through it. That he's like, I'm Ali G and now I'm Borat and now I'm Bruno and now I'm this and that, but he's making you see these undercurrents of society through entertainment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you are someone that just loves to make people laugh or com- comes alive on stage or on camera, that's definitely the entertainer archetype. So I know for me, this was like when I was writing Discover Your Dharma, I started writing it at the beginning of 2019. Um, I was like, my entertainer is like medium for me. It's not really my main one. But 2020, I downloaded TikTok. And my entertainer archetype is like my number three archetype now because it it helps remind me of when I was a kid and I would make skits and I would do karaoke and how much fun it was and just like the gratification I feel making someone laugh. So sometimes archetypes can be like dormant within you and something can shift in your life that can make that archetype come more online. Mm, yes. You and Saw have the best reels and TikToks, I have to say. I just will watch them over and over and over. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's it's so much fun. And, you know, and I think, so what I always tell people is like, oftentimes your top two Dharma archetypes stay with you your whole life. Like I will always be visionary teacher, like above everything else, but the middle ones are the ones that can shift a lot. So, mm. you know, um, one of the ones that I'll get to next is the activist. So, you know, come June, 2020, I was stepping into my activist archetype a lot more. And then, you know, now entertainer. And then when I was creating my deck, I was more in the artist, et cetera. Does that mean that I'm going to entirely shift and like change my job and like just become a painter and never want to speak again? Probably not. I think that's something having visionary and teacher will always be a part of me, but those supporting archetypes can change the expression of it. Then we also often have the archetype that we are the least, which is Mm -hmm. like our 
I don't want to go there archetype. For me, it's the warrior. And that is the one that your greatest work is. So if you're just like, oh, I hate doing research. Like I really can't read books. Like that's where your greatest work is. Again, doesn't mean you have to transform into the researcher or the artist or whatever else, but you don't want to have a hole in your pocket that it's like, oh shit, if I have to get into my warrior, I'm going to have a breakdown. You know, you Mm got to be able to be able to sit into the different archetypes without feeling like you're going to lose yourself in them. Yeah, I think that that's a good point because, and this was something that I learned with astrology as well too. It's like, I'm not just a Scorpio. I can actually tap into all of the different um, signs or I can tap into all of the different archetypes. It's not that I'm only this one thing um, because I feel like sometimes a lot of us, especially when we're first learning these things, can um, use it as a crutch of, oh, well, you know, I don't have the artist inside of me or I don't have the teacher inside of me. And so... How do you suggest for somebody who is, because you have the archetype quiz on your website, which I'm going to go take after we get off of this. Um, Yes, I have. (laughs) It's on um, dharmaarchetypequiz.com. So that will give you a quick like understanding of the top two dharma archetypes. However, it's not going to give you the full picture because people often are like, I don't know, like I like all of these things or they all really matter. So in the book, it's a full assessment that you're ranking them all in order Mm. because you again, are all of them, you, you're going to care about your family and you're going to care about, you know, the environment and all of these different things. So, um, the archetype quiz will give you a little idea and then the assessment will give you the full actually in order what your archetypes are. Yeah. Yeah. And I like your example just from last year alone with, um, with just activism. And then before that with your deck, cause I know your deck wasn't last year. It was a couple of years ago or mm-hmm. 2019, right? I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> uh, um, but I like the example of how you used them all as a support versus a crutch. It's like, once you moved into, once June, 2020 happened, it wasn't like, oh, well, I'm the teacher. I can't be the activist. Sorry. I'm not going to post and share the things that I'm passionate about. Or when the deck came, it wasn't like, oh, I, I don't really know. And I'm going to just say that I'm not good at this thing and, um, choose to like opt out of it. You allowed yourself to lean into it. And so for those listening, how do you suggest they use it as a support versus a crutch? Mm. So I would see what are your, top two archetypes that you feel like in your fullest expression, like if you were being your highest self, what are they? Cause sometimes I, I hear people, they say, you know, I really want to be this one, or I could see myself being that one, but I'm not that one yet. So what do I do? So it's like, if you are your fullest expression of who you are, not, I want to be this because Oprah is that one, or I want to be yeah. this one because Ava's that one, you know, you at your fullest expression, what are those top two or even four archetypes? And I have a whole process in the book called the Dharma blueprint process, but, um, with just the archetype part, you could look at what are the different ways this could show up. So for example, let's say you are the researcher, the teacher, the activist and the nurturer. And you're like, I don't know what to do. These are all totally different. I don't know how it's going to work. Okay. Well, you could look at what are the things I would want to teach about? You know, maybe it's the environment and the oceans and saving the dolphins. Okay. What are the things I would want to be an activist about? Oh, well actually it could be those same things. What are the things I want to nurture? I want to nurture kids to get to know more about the ocean life. And, you know, look at the ways that these archetypes can actually support each other because it doesn't mean if you're a warrior, you got to join the military. It's like, you might bring your warrior energy like Tony Robbins into personal development, Mm -hmm. or you may 
be bringing your activist archetype into what you teach in a classroom. So it doesn't mean activist means I got to sign petitions. It's like, sometimes we look at things in such a box because I feel like we like grew up playing life and like talking to our guidance counselors, like, oh, you like talking, be a lawyer. Like that's the thing that you do. And it's really look at how can all of these archetypes play a role in my life and they don't all have to be related to your career either. Mm. I think so many times we're like, how can I have all of them in my career? And it's like, you know, maybe your artist comes on when you are just weaving dream catchers on the weekend, or maybe your activist is when you spend the weekends volunteering at the soup kitchen or whatever else. So let's say there are some archetypes that you feel like you have, but they're not part of your career at this time. You can still practice those archetypes and that will actually make you feel satisfied in them. And then bring you more energy and completion through everything that you do. Mm, Yes. I love that so much. So what are you currently weaving into other areas of your life? What other archetypes are you currently weaving into like your relationship or just like your own pleasure and travel? Where do you see the other archetypes playing out that aren't necessarily like fully alive in your business? For me, it's definitely the entertainer one right now. Like I'm finding so much joy in being in that. Like I love the creativity of being able to come up with interesting scenarios, but using those scenarios to help people find their dharma or to help people move through spiritual awakenings, et cetera. Not not just entertainment for the sake of entertainment. It still has like my own personal mission through it. But I feel like for myself, I was really in that researcher archetype as I was writing my first two Ayurveda books of like fully having to dive so deep into this ancient health system and this, this age old science that most of the research is not even in English. So I was like, so in like the books and the understanding and the learning that I'm energetically feeling this, like stepping away from words, like I feel like I've overdone it with the words for a long time that I am wanting to step more into play and embodiment and connecting to my heart rather Mm -hmm. than my brain. Mm, Yes. I totally feel you there as well. And it's been, it's felt so good too, for me, where it's just like, oh yes, like I can have the success, not just business-wise, but relationship-wise and like fulfillment-wise within myself. And it doesn't have to be so heady. It doesn't have to feel so um, so cerebral and logical. It can actually just be very intuitive and like deep, deep-rooted wisdom inside of my body through movement. Totally. And I think we go through different phases of like, I want all the information and then like, I only want to listen to music, you know? And it's this like, ebb in that flow of feeling what you need. But I feel like in general, like 2020, we just reached this threshold of so much information that it was like just getting all this information, all these things, and they were contradicting and our heads just kind of exploded that I feel like what we really need more of is embodiment. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't need, I would catch myself, especially when I was trying to understand what my Dharma was, I would jump from like, okay, let me read all about this. And like, let me research all about that. And like, go down this rabbit hole and that one and that one, but I wasn't taking action you know, and sometimes we use that as a way of like, like coping with the outside world and our responsibility and playing a a part in it. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, even when writing discover your Dharma, I just kept going back to as I'm writing it. I'm like, how can I just help them take action at this time? Because you're never going to figure out your Dharma in your head. You're never going to like have like the perfect strategy and the perfect like step-by-step process. And then you can take action. It's actually through getting to know yourself, taking action, receiving feedback that your Dharma naturally unfolds. Mm, Yes. You're never going to figure out your Dharma in your head. Oh, I love that so much. So what does embodiment look like to you then? Um, well, dance is, you know, my primary practice. I dance every single day. And for me, dance looks like, um, really moving my body and however my body seeks to express itself. So rather than choreography or trying to like follow what someone else is doing, it's more so me playing music and let my body move through whatever it needs to experience and noticing that Mm -hmm. it's such a great way of taking inventory of how you are energetically by like letting your body move. And is it like slow and sensuous? Is it like, like rigorous and shaking energy? Is it, is it sharp and all of these different textures really give us information about what's happening deeper within. So for me, especially moving through 2020, like dance was that practice that helped me clear that energy, tune into how it was I was feeling, take a break from the information and the words and the outside world. And every single time I dance, I come into this level of alignment and I know exactly what to do next. It's not like I have to figure it out or brainstorm it or even journal about it. It's just, I dance. And eventually I just get to this point that I, it shows me where I'm meant to go next. And then I can take action on that. So, um, yeah, I actually created this healing and embodiment through dance course. That's all about this tuning into your body with dance. So yeah, I love that it over to you. It's available on, um, rosegoldgoddesses.com slash dance. Yeah. I love that so much. I've been recently getting into dance and like, I know you're like a, a great dancer first and foremost. I not so much, but dancing with that intention of moving my body and processing emotions and just kind of like getting things shaken up and also allowing myself to receive just pleasure through movement has been so like life-changing for me in the morning, especially with like a big mirror and just being able to look at myself in my eyes and like love myself fully um, has been such a great addition to my day. So for anyone listening, I highly suggest, even if it's just one song that you're putting on to move and close your eyes to, it's just like, oh my gosh, I feel like for me, just being so logical and in my masculine for so long, it's such a different approach to starting my day and like being in my body that I had been craving for so long. And you know, what's interesting, I was actually talking to a girlfriend this morning is that I feel like more pleasure and more sensation throughout my body all the time now because I'm more connected. And at first I was like, wow, this is like really foreign, but I can like feel pleasure and sensation in my yoni, up my spine, like all through my heart. And I'm like so here for it because it's reconnecting me to that like divine power that felt very dormant for a very long time. Mm, Absolutely. Because we are so used to telling our bodies how to be, okay, exercise now, now sit down, now be in the plane, now do this, now do that. It's like, when have we let our bodies tell us, oh, I want to shake. I want to undulate. I want to do whatever it is that your body needs to do. If we look at, you know, any animal, um, a zebra, when they're running away from the lion, they're like running, running, running. Are there all their cortisol is going up. They feel like they're about to get attacked by this lion and they make it and they start shaking their bodies 
days, you know, they start kind of convulsing and then they're good. They're just like yeah. eating their grass again. And it's like every animal, a dog, a cat, they all shake. They all have these like, you know, downward dog, all of yoga practice really comes from looking at animals. We are also like that, but yeah. we have so much shame in our in our minds. And I mean, I do, I really talk about this a lot in, in the course, but it really stems from both colonialism, racism, and patriarchy of mm-hmm. why we don't have dance in our lives anymore. It was always a spiritual practice. It still is one of the most ancient ways of healing, but because of colonialism saying that it's barbaric religion saying it's shameful, um, you know, people not understanding why someone's doing it or being afraid of someone in an ecstatic state, we have essentially deemed it as wrong. I mean, if I start shaking my arms like this, like you'll probably think I'm like crazy or weird or something's wrong with me. But if I start shaking my butt, my ass, you'll say, oh, you're asking for it. You must want sex. It's like, why is this body part? Okay. But this one, not, it's like, Mm -hmm. look at the way that we've, we've, deemed different body parts to have like this one sexual function, but it can't be for anything else. Maybe all of your trauma is stored in your root chakra and that's what needs to shake. And you're not asking for it, or you're not like doing this weird, even sexual practice. It could simply be for healing. So yeah, dropping, dropping the shame of connecting to our bodies, dropping the, it should look like this, or it needs to have a purpose or it needs to burn calories, or it needs to have a certain result and letting it just be for the sake of being in a human body and that we get to do this. Mm, Yes. And I feel like when we can drop into our bodies, it also creates so much space for us to actually receive, as you mentioned, those steps in the process of discovering our Dharma too. So it's all connected. Absolutely. You know, your body is a living hologram of what's happening within. So a tight, strict, constricted body, that's probably what's happening in your mind. An open, fluid, interconnected body is actually going to create more left and right hemisphere communication in your mind. Mm. That's why dancers have the lowest levels of Alzheimer's because they're always using their mind-body connection and their um, motor control and all of these different functions. Whereas in our society, we're almost like we don't even use our bodies. We just sit in these chairs and we barely even like move. It's like the matrix. We're just, you know, soon some people are going to opt for that life to just like live life VR and never move again. And it's robbing us from why we're even here. And it's like, go beyond like, what is the purpose of, of making money? What is the purpose of even living your purpose? What is the purpose of all of this? It's so you can feel more alive. So if we have these practices that can support us right now, then the end goal doesn't even matter as much because we're feeling it in this experience. Mm, yes. Yes. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for hours, for hours, for hours. And I'm so grateful that we were able to have a round two of this conversation because I feel like we were able to dive even deeper than we did in our first um, our first podcast together. So for anyone listening, if you didn't listen to that first episode, it's about a year and a half back, but <laughs> if you scroll long enough, you'll find it. Um, Zahra, how can people find you? Where should they start? I feel like Discover Your Dharma is like literally the best place to start. It's such a beautiful book, um, literally from the cover to your words, to your processes. Uh, I know you have rose gold goddesses as well. So just give my audience a place to dive deep into everything that you have to offer. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I feel like these conversations, I always get to talk about like what's coming next with you. So I love it. Um, So discover your Dharma is the perfect place to start if you are looking to really make this the year of 
living that soul expression that you already are. So you can get the book as well as different bonuses, meditation, Dharma embodiment practice. So dancing mm. your way towards your Dharma and Dharma tapping practice on my website. I am saharrose.com slash Dharma. And if you would like to join a community of spiritual sisters who every month I guide a goddess circle, we're working with a different goddess archetype each month, all about connecting to dance and embodiment and the womb and all things feminine spirituality that is available at rosegoldgoddesses.com. And I also have a podcast called the highest self podcast. So come join me there. And my Instagram is I am Sahara Rose. Mm, Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of The Alchemized Life. I had so much fun during this conversation, and if you did too, it would mean the world to me if you could take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I don't know if you know this, but every single review helps to get these episodes out to even more people and... If you are in alignment with me wanting to change the world and make a massive impact through spirituality, wellness, mindfulness, and all of the yummy things that we talk about on The Alchemized Life, your review helps. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.